Evening Podcasts. Oh, it's a slippery slope with thighs and confused a mouth browner and larger. friend what's up hello no no yep i can hear you okay what the hell brother it wasn't on blue snowball ah okay that'll do it every time yes it will (laughs) well hey man yeah so we're this is a special twin peaks episode where we're going to discuss part 11 it is and another special thing about it is that this is episode 50 we are at the half century mark, Mark. Yeah. Oh shit, man. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Who would have thought? Knew? Yeah, who would have thought fifty episodes ago that we would have done fifty episodes? Yep. Yeah. We did our our first one we put up online. Well, you put up online really. Wow. I don't know how how long between when we recorded it and when you put it up it was. I don't remember either. But was... I know you posted it on May thirty first of twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we are, just just about exactly fourteen months later, and wow. at episode fifty. Hey, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's like what fifty two, fifty six, sixty weeks, fifty episodes in sixty weeks. That's just not bad, man. Hey, that ain't bad, you know, for people who aren't getting paid to do it, you know. Right. I mean, Mark Maron. Just something we're doing for fun. Yeah, Mark Marin does, you know, two every week. But, you know, this is his bread and butter. He makes a living off of it. We're right. do- we're doing it as a labor of love and hey, there you go. See? And, and having a good time doing it. Hell yeah. We're churning it out. I mean, we get it's like we get to hang out at least once a week, if not more. Yeah. That is nice, you know. We we kind of have hung out more this last year, not just doing the podcast, but in person as well. Than we had for a few years. I, I know. And that, I mean, yeah, there was got, a period of time between when we stopped, you know, doing Lube TV and, you know, a year ago. And, you know, we would see each other maybe once every couple of months or so. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Or maybe once, once a, a quarter. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird how, you know, you can just kind of fall out of uh, communication with somebody. Well, and I mean, you got married, you know, and I know, you know, especially the first few years you're married. So, you know, well, okay. and you dated before you got married too. So you were, you were involved in a relationship that, that took a lot of your time and rightly so. So, well, that's true, but that covers from say 2011 to now, but between 2006 and 2011, I didn't have very many excuses. Other than right. That. We hung out some, but not as much as we had when we did Loop TV, that's for sure. Right. But, you know, we had a good time. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, of course. Of course. So, yeah. you know, thank- for a while you were dating someone that was crazy. So there was that. Well, <laughs> I don't know if not dating the- was the term, but oh, well, yeah. Yeah. You were involved with a crazy person. Yeah. But. You know, live and learn. Yeah, and, you did, and yeah. you lived, and you learned. <laughs> I did live. Thank God, I lived. And yeah, 
And it all paid off, and now I'm with a, a very wonderful woman. Yes. And uh, yeah. she is not crazy. She's wonderful. She is not. Mm-hmm. She's fun and a happy person. Yeah, and definitely. That's absolutely to, what I need in my life. Yeah. Yep. Easy to be around and fun and interesting and just the right amount of like, you know, she's not too quiet. She's not too talkative. She's not too happy all the time. She's not sad. You know what I mean? She's just like the perfect balance of a person. She's she's fun to be around. She's real. She's a real person. Yeah. (laughs) And not crazy in any sense of the word. Boy, that's so true. And it's nice. Yeah. I can't wait till we go on our trip to San Francisco and Northern California. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. You, you know, me and my nephew are going to Dallas this weekend uh, oh. for kind of an extended trip. Okay. Um, are it's you? His, mm-hmm. It's his birthday, huh? Oh, nice. Are y'all leaving tomorrow night? Uh, Actually, Friday morning. Oh, okay. So, so. I'm going to go over to Houston and pick him up, and then we're going to drive to Dallas. His, his roommate, who is a female, is going to go with us. And oh. we're just going to – I've never been to Dallas as a tourist well, I take that back. I have one time, but mm-hmm. it was many years ago. Um, so we're just going to go and go to some of the museums and hang out and eat some food and probably go have some drinks and just d- do Dallas because it was close and easy and, and um, you know, we could drive there. All right. Sounds good. Are you yeah, gonna, I'm excited. Are you going to go to Dealey Plaza? You know, I went to Dallas in, oh God, I don't even remember. I have to think about where I worked at the time. Okay, I think it was like 1990. Oh God, I don't even know. Hmm. I don't even know what year it was. In the 90s, I think sometime. Okay. And uh, I lived in Houston. I had a friend who was a real train enthusiast. You know, those guys who are just so into trains. I don't know what the fuck that's about, but whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. And and he was like, you know, we should uh, just take the train to Dallas sometime just so you can kind of experience the train. And we'll just go up for the weekend. I have a friend who lives up there. And right. and I think we did a hotel room. And um, I know we did. And then uh, but we didn't have a car. But then he borrowed a car from his friend. Anyway, we went to one of the things we did do was go to Dealey Plaza to the JFK Museum, okay. which at the time. Mm-hmm. I think was fairly new. I don't know when they opened that up. Right. Is, but it was a... Is it the one that's in the uh, Texas School Book Depository building? Correct. Ah, yeah. okay. So, like, they have the area where the window he supposedly shot out of is... Mm-hmm. is It's roped off, but you can stand there and see, and you can certainly see through the window outside. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, yeah, I just remember I got pretty teary-eyed. It was it was a it was a emotional experience. Yeah, there's something about that place, and when you're walking in it, it kind of feels like time has stood still for you know fifty some odd years there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was thinking about doing that this trip, but then I'm gonna ask nephew if he wants to. It may be. Some, it may not be something he wants to do. Certainly, there's a lot of other things that that I would like to do. Um, and since it's the only, we're only going to be there a couple of days. I don't know. The only reason I would go is if he just really that was really important to him, which it may be. I don't know. Um, right. But right. there's yeah, there's well, so many art museums in Dallas Fort Worth area that I've found out about doing research on what we're going to do while we're there that I'm I'm really excited about all the different places we're going. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you've got lots of things on your itinerary. So cool. Yes. 
Yes. So when we do our next non-Twin Peaks episode, <laughs> uh, I definitely should have some things to talk about, I hope. Yeah. You're going to give me the rundown, the lowdown, and everything down. Yeah. All right. The, the, cool. Sounds great. What is that term? The get down, fall down, feel good. I don't know what the hell what I'm thinking of. The get down. Isn't there a band called something like the get down, stay down? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the get down, stay down. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and yeah, you'll and you'll clap your hands and say yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, I know that's a band for a fact. Okay. Yeah. Yes, although I put an and in there, but well, same, it's, same yeah. thing. I knew where you were going with that, so that's okay. Okay, good. Terrific. <laughs> well, hey, I wanted to talk. I have a couple things, kind of the pre-Twin Peaks things, pre-episode discussion things that are Twin Peaks related that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to talk about real quick before we started doing our episode discussion. No, that's fine. Go ahead and uh, go forth with your uh, topics, and then we'll jump into the episode. Okay. Well, the the first thing I wondered was, have you read in the Twin Peaks a novel uh, by Mark Frost? Have you gotten any further into that? A little bit further, but not a whole lot further. Okay. Yeah. I have gotten, oh, I think I'm about 60 to 80 pages in, somewhere in that range. Okay. Um. So you know, we talked last episode discussion. We we talked about uh the Lewis and Clark stuff. Right. So that, I that, yeah, I finally got to the end of that section and I'm starting the uh, the second section. And the second section is a lot about the Nez Pierce and right. and Chief Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just kind of got into that. I haven't you know fully absorbed that yet. But uh, go ahead. Well, okay. I won't go too. F- far into i'm a little further than that of course um Mm -hmm. but one of the things that i wanted to mention about the i got my notes out of my book because i'm keeping notes as i read um uh, of of things that are kind of interesting and one of the things was that when lewis is in that is away for two or three days Mm -hmm. and has some experiences there was some things where um it was six lost days, and they mentioned again that uh, that Lewis was to go to this certain location, which is kind of a phrase that has popped up a couple times. If you go to a certain location, mm-hmm. um, you know, yes. and I thought that was interesting. And there was something about uh, I'm looking at my notes, and it's like, boy, I don't even remember exactly uh, what these referred to. But I wrote down silvery spheres, golden heavenly choir, and lots of colors. Mm-hmm. page of lunatic rambling about the color red <laughs> oh yeah mm. and and then something about oh there was lots of red and then uh classical statuary and black black lines which definitely um seems to be yeah the black a reference lodge. yeah reference to the black lodge a yes. reference to the black lodge definitely yeah and then i recall reading that in the book so that must have been in that in that first lewis and clark section right i think that's when lewis somehow at some point lewis is discussing or someone is discussing what lewis said about what he saw while he was gone for those lost days as they called them yeah um and then he was reunited with clark on october 3rd which is, as we're watching Twin Peaks here, you know, in the last episode, they had Matthew Lillard's character, uh, Principal Hastings, sign something and he and dated, and he dated it September 29th. Mm-hmm. 
and um, the the note that Bobby and um, uh, Hawk Sher- and Sheriff, Sheriff Truman, Truman found said that they needed to go to that location on October 1st and 2nd. Yeah. Um, and then here it's saying that uh, Lewis was reunited with Clark after his lost days in the wilderness on October 3rd. So hmm. those dates presumably have some sort of significance. Yeah. It's like maybe special places are accessible on that particular date, October 2nd, or right, know, who yeah. knows. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting that those dates are the same dates that we're kind of talking about on the show. Mm-hmm. And when we start talking about the ep- part 11, yeah, I was trying to keep track of what day it is, and it's a little bit hard but it still seems like I can't tell if it's September 29th or September 30th, but it feels like it's still supposed to be September 29th. Oh, you're talking about uh, when all the events of uh, part 11 happen? Yeah. Okay. Because I was watching it thinking about, okay, what day is it? Is it the next day? Because like there's a scene not to get into this discussion yet, but there's a scene where the, the brothers, I can't remember their name now all of a sudden. Mitchum? Uh, the Mitchum brothers are eating breakfast, and I'm like, oh, it's right. the next morning. But then they, they specifically show the clock, and the clock says 2.30. And uh. presumably because they work in casinos and work at night, they mm-hmm. they have breakfast at 2.30 in the afternoon. Okay. And then that they have sense. a meeting with Dougie at five 5.30 or 5 o'clock. I can't remember. But 5.30, yep. Yeah. So anyway, okay. that was one of the things I was trying to figure out watching the episode this week is, are we still supposed to be at September 29th or is it supposed to be September 30th? Hmm. Um, and we can we can talk about that a little more as we're talking about the show. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're jumping the gun just a little yeah. bit, sort of, but not, so, not in a big way. Right. All right. So then the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick was uh-huh. uh, I was reading, you know, after part 10, where Richard Horn uh, robs his grandma. And, <laughs> yes. You know, that devastating scene that we witnessed. Very, yeah. And uh, I, I was online before I saw. No, it may have been. I don't know exactly when I read this, but I was uh, there was an interview with him where they were talking about uh, they were asking him about filming Twin Peaks and, you know, his character and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And, and they were asking about uh, somehow they it came up. How did Lynch cast him? And uh, he was like, Lynch just called me and asked me if I wanted to to play this part and we talked a little bit and then i flew to i don't know if he flew to seattle or where he flew to and they and he filmed some scenes and like he didn't have to audition or anything and then later on and then after right after that he says something about i you know he had been in a film by lynch's daughter by jennifer lynch and he guessed that david lynch must have seen him in that work and that's why he thought about casting him and i'm like oh Hmm. Oh, yeah. So so I got online and found it and it's a movie called Chained. And um, so I was like, OK, I got to see it. So I, you know, I bought it on Amazon, got Amazon Prime. So it came in a couple days. So I just watched it last night, actually. Chained. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I know you've seen Boxing Helena, the 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 first movie that Jennifer Lynch did right. in the 90s. Yeah, that was a long time ago already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I watched it back in the day, too. I haven't seen it in 20 years, and I I, I remember I wasn't particularly impressed with it. Um, I thought it was okay, I, I, I don't, but I really don't remember much about it at all. Well, you were probably expecting her father's work, and when it wasn't, you were disappointed. Yeah, I think we all were. Um, 
And if you've watched a, f- a f- couple years ago, I I was I, I looked her up online. It may have been when she directed that episode of The Walking Dead last year. I kind of looked up her filmography and I was like, what has she been up to? Mm-hmm. And so she made she made another movie called Surveillance, and I bought that on DVD a couple years ago and watched it, and it's okay. Okay. And Chained mm-hmm. is certainly at best good. Um, you know, it's interesting that she's really not. She has, you know, she's really not anywhere near her father's brilliance well, as a filmmaker. I think that's probably part of the problem, you know, because she is her father's daughter. People are always going to be comparing her to him and be disappointed. And, you know, she'd have been better if she had changed her name to something else, possibly. And, well, you know, uh, yeah. Then, then people will judge know. her, you know, judge her by her own merits instead of saying, eh, you know, she's not as good as her dad, kind of well, thing. Well, she isn't. Though. Well, <laughs> I mean, understandably so, but had she been, I, you know, I just, something I mean, else, I see what yeah. you're saying. Right. Yeah. But I just, I'm like, she's significantly lesser of a filmmaker than her father. It's not like, I mean, okay. she doesn't have to copy him to be good. And I realize as a, as a filmmaker, she doesn't have access to huge budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at her filmography over the last two years. She's directed mainly television episodes. And, you know, she directed an episode of Walking Dead that I thought was a good episode. Okay. Um, and hmm. she's directed a lot of one hour drama series, uh, probably 20 or 30 different episodes just over the last couple of years of different TV shows. All right. Um, well, maybe so, that's her niche. Yeah. Maybe she has found her niche in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe in doing that, she can, you know, work harder to find a better pro- uh, script to, to produce or something. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Chained is very much a, a lot of the online reviews called it torture porn. Uh, it's it somewhat is. Um, I won't go in. The story's kind of interesting. Vincent D'Onofrio or D'Onofrio, however yeah. you want to say that. D'Onofrio, um, yeah. Is, yeah, is the main character, and he's great in it. Um, um, and then uh, this guy uh, who plays Richard Horn, mm-hmm. on. Is it Eamon Farron? Eamon? Eamon Farron? Yeah. Ooh, you think 2017 Eamon Farron is hot. 2012 Eamon Farron. <laughs> Holy camole guacamole. He's attractive. I just, right. I, I was watching the movie and I must have said out loud uh, 50 times, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Um, he's <laughs> just so, you know, he's just, so, he's, I don't, and I know some people probably look at him and go, oh my God, he's not attractive but he's just my type i guess yeah <laughs> he goes up to 11 on my scale yeah. he's um very, he's very ang- but, he's very angular he is angular i think i like that too i think that's something <laughs> that I, I you know like i say i like odd looking guys he's oddly hot uh, you, um you want someone who has cheekbones that could pop a balloon yes indeed and then no <laughs> and then no chin no chin whatsoever um but He's he's actually really good in this movie. Um, I mean, he's he's very nice to look at. But, I, you know, for kind of a low budget um, torture porn, kind of a dark, gritty, grisly mm-hmm. uh, movie. Yeah, um, it's not bad. Um, he's really great in it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, D'Onofrio is really great in it. And when you watch it, it's like, hmm. I don't know. I mean, it 
it's it's kind of interesting that Lynch saw that and then thought, hmm, here's the guy that can play Richard Horn because right, you know, his character is not a uh, uh, an evil person in the in the movie. Hmm. He, okay. um, but he has kind of an interesting twist to his character and it's it's certainly a movie worth seeing especially if you kind of uh, okay. like that actor or um want to see I, I like seeing jennifer lynch's work just to see it All right. um but anyway that's i watched that last night and i just wanted to talk about it because so it's uh, um is is chained a lot like uh the movie hostile i haven't seen hostile okay um I don't think it's like hostile. No, um, I wish I could think of a good example that doesn't give too much away about what it is. I mean, it's definitely about a serial killer. Um, ah, okay. So, um, so, and 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 that's kind of what it's about. And and he, uh, I mean, Eamon Farron. I say Eamon. Eamon Farron plays a, a character that that he's kidnapped and has chained up. Ah, okay. Hence the title. So he is the serial killer? Um, he's kind of a serial killer in training. Oh, ooh, okay. Yeah, mm. yeah. Be- All right. Being, by, by being held captive and being trained to be a serial killer. Okay. But it's way, it's way better than that. It's right. much more nuanced than that. Well, if you try to explain it to me, you're probably going to be giving away spoilers, so it's probably best uh, the, the less you say then. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give away too many spoilers to anyone who might want to watch it. Sure. It's just if you're a fan of, of the actor who plays Richard Horn, it's definitely something you want to see. He's really, really great in it, and um, it's an interesting movie and and like i say i i'm a fan i'm a i'm interested in what jennifer lynch does because her dad is david lynch i know that's not a great reason to be but if you're interested in jennifer lynch yeah sure okay worth seeing as well sure okay cool anyway okay sounds good well that's just kind of what i wanted to talk about before we got started all right cool i realize Want- I realize now we've taken a long time <laughs> yeah a little bit uh i was i was not gonna look at the clock, but uh, yeah, we're twenty five minutes in. Uh, give me a yeah. sec. Give me a second here. I'll be back in like uh, thirty seconds. Okay, you can play the Twin Peaks music while you're gone. Doom, 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 doom. I don't really know where it goes. <laughs> Am I falling in love? Doom, 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 doom. Bong, bong. Down, 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 All right. down, down, down. Oh, hey. hey. Okay. All right. You're doing some music while I was gone. <laughs> I was awesome. doing, trying to do the Twin Peaks theme, which I can't re- remember exactly how it goes. Mm-hmm. I've heard it a thousand times. All right. Yeah. All right, man. Okay. You ready to, ready right. to get into part 11? Yes. Part 11. Huh? Twin Peaks, the return. Part 11. Yeah. So... And it starts off. Three boys are playing catch near their trailer home in a rural area outside of Twin Peaks. One boy overthrows the other, and the ball rolls down the road. The oldest of the three runs to retrieve it and notices a person laying in the tall grass. There's someone there. And who the hell is it? It's Miriam. She's still (laughs) alive. Richard Horn did not kill her. When he came to her trailer home. So the little boy yells, go tell mom. End of scene one. <laughs> so I, I read a, I read a little bit online this week about this episode. Um, and apparently there are people who were reminded of the scene with Ronette, Ronette Pulaski where she's walking across the trestle uh-huh. by this scene. 
didn't occur to me for a second. No, me either, because yeah. she was crawling on the ground. I mean, granted, she was kind of bloody and whatever, but that's that's probably where the resemblance ends. Yeah, I didn't get that that people thought that evoked the scene from with Renette Pulaski in the I think it's in the premiere episode of the series or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, well, that on, that only makes sense if you truly believe that Richard Horn is the doppelganger's son and is right. somehow that tied to the whole Bob thing. So I don't know. Right. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's a stretch, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, shall we go into scene two? Yeah. All right. The next scene at the Fat Trout Trailer Park, Becky is on the phone yelling, what? Where? I don't have a fucking car. She's angry. She's screaming. We don't know what the hell is going on with her. She calls her mom, uh, Shelly, at the Double R Diner. It's Steven. I need your car. Hurry. And so Shelly rushes over. And while Shelly's pulling up, we see Becky gets a gun from under the couch. Uh, just as Shelly arrives, Becky grabs the keys and tries to, grabs the keys and tries to drive off. Shelly is like, wait, wait. And so Shelly jumps on the hood of the car trying to stop her which obviously doesn't stop Becky. Becky drives in reverse, uh, cuts the wheel sharply, and Shelly goes flying off the hood of the car into the grass, and Becky drives off. So, like, the Double R Diner must be, like, across the street from the trailer park because (laughs) Shelly gets there awfully fucking fast. Yeah, Um, wow. That's crazy, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, and then uh I thought for a second, I was like, you know, Becky's not acting like herself. She's acting kind of almost like she's possessed like the by you know as people get possessed in twin peaks by an evil spirit or whatever you want to say <laughs> okay well um, but uh when i started thinking about that i was like you know you we really don't see females get kind of that evil possession kind of personality you know what mm. i mean like it's always if you want to say possessed by bob it's always males that are possessed by bob you don't see females possessed yeah, by bob i guess you're right yeah yeah that that is true yeah, at least so in thought, the twin peaks universe yes yeah so i thought hmm wouldn't it be interesting if they had a female that was kind of possessed <laughs> by bob but you know yeah. i think she's just nutty <laughs> right she's just nutty because she's in a relationship with a very unstable person so well oops. who may be possessed by bob yeah <laughs> yeah i'm i'm jumping the gun because we don't at this point i don't think we really know what she's pissed about at that point not really yeah uh, right and so right after shelly gets thrown off into the grass and becky drives off good old carl rushes up to see what the hubbub is and sees shelly struggling to her to, to her feet and she says can you give me a ride to the double r carl <laughs> the, carl does the strangest thing <laughs> he blows a, a penny whistle pulls out this little metal penny whistle and he blows it and he yeah. says what the hell happened and uh, she says becky and steven are fighting again so we know what's going on finally right so while we're still trying to figure out why the hell carl was blowing that whistle an old vw microbus apparently summoned by carl's whistle pulls up and they get in carl don't need no uber <laughs> no he's got <laughs> 
He's got himself a tutor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so once they're in the van, Shelly calls Norma, trying to get advice what to do. Carl's got other ideas. He uh, he uh, gets his CB radio out that's in the back of the VW microbus and calls the Twin Peaks Police Department dispatcher, Maggie, on the CB. And here's where a big shocker, a big reveal happens. And he right. says he's with Shelly Briggs. Right. And she, and she right needs... before that, Norma says, why didn't you just call Bobby? And right. you're like, oh, her and Bobby still talk. And then Carl says he's with Shelly Briggs. And I'm like, oh, they talk because they're married. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense that Bobby and Shelly might have got married because, you know, you remember in the original series, they had kind of a thing behind um, Leo's. Leo's back. So, yeah, okay, it makes sense that they might have hooked up and gotten married at some point in time. So, right. Oh, anyway. Um, um, yeah, that was a cool reveal, though. I loved how they did that because, you know, we've been waiting a long time to know what has changed in the 25 years since mm-hmm. while we've been away. And to know that Shelly and Bobby got married uh, was re- just a really cool reveal. reveal. In fact, I typed Shelly Briggs in big, bold letters. Because <laughs> I just right. thought it was, it was, I was like, oh, yes, that's cool. Yeah, that is, that is huge. Okay. So anyway, after that, Becky arrives at, at an apartment building and bangs on room 208. The next door neighbor says, they just left. And then Becky yells, Fuck you, Steven, and fires six shots into the door. Um, Then the camera does this weird panning down the staircase, and then we see Steven and his mistress, Gersten Hayward, uh, cower in the stairwell on the ground floor. Yeah. Gersten Hayward, so I assume that's Donna's daughter? No, that's Donna's sister. That's Donna's little sister, yeah. Oh, I don't remember her from... Yeah, Donna had a little sister, and in fact, again, I didn't realize this, but I read this online. I'll tell you in a second. Um, uh-huh. Um, but one thing before that, when when Shelly's not, uh, knocking on the door, and the or not Shelly, um, Becky's knocking on the door, and the neighbor pops her head out, uh-huh. and the neighbor's a, a fat lady, because Lynch likes fat ladies. Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> that fat lady is Lauren Twos, who used to be on Love Boat. 40 years ago wow really she's she's gotten old and fat damn (laughs) you saw that in the credits oh man i missed that completely wow yeah i saw it in the credits and actually they put a first name it was something i don't remember what her first name was but it was something like Mm -hmm. a girl's first name lauren twos and i was and i had read that lauren twos was going to be in it and i was like that's interesting and maybe she'll be in more of it but at this point i you know that may be all that she does in the show um, but I don't even know if she's acted in other things in the last few years. Um, wow. Hmm. Interesting. interesting. I had to go back that's and rewatch right. it and look at her. And if you look at her face, you can tell that's her. Inter- okay. Well, now I got to watch it a third time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's the, cool. So then the Gersten Haywood thing, and a- another thing, you know, that I read online that I didn't snap to was uh-huh. apparently there's a episode of Twin Peaks where Gersten Haywood plays the piano and at the end of the episode she's playing the piano as the credits roll yes oh okay damn good 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 memory there well i read it i didn't remember it i read it online but the interesting thing they said was this episode also ends with someone playing a piano at the end well that's very true so donna's sister gersten hayward who was played by alicia witt 
Alicia Witt. Oh, yeah. I love her. She also was on Walking Dead, played the part of Paula, who, mm-hmm. yeah, was, I think she was threatening, um, gosh, who was she threatening? And Carol. Carol, and somehow, uh, yeah, Carol got a zombie to bite uh, Paula on the shoulder or something like that or on the neck. Yep. I can't remember, but yeah, something like that. But because, uh, yeah, when I saw her, I was like, God, I know I've seen her in uh, another TV show not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's so she, um, cool. she was in Lynch's Dune. She played the little girl that I made the joke that she looked like a. She was a uh, playing an homage to um, Clint Howard in the original Star Trek. <laughs> she plays a little girl who supposedly is very knowledgeable or a seer or something, right. and she wears a crazy little outfit. And then we talked to. She's in Lynch's hotel room in one of the most amazing episodes. And I think it's her and Crispin Glover. And it's just an amazing, mm, okay. uh, it's really a short film uh, oh. that they're in. That's really great. Okay. Now, um, okay. Hmm. Now answer me this. Did Alicia Witt play Gersten Hayward in the original series? I don't think so, but nope. maybe she did. And I just didn't realize it. Yeah. I don't know either. The All first right. time I really saw her and, and real and knew who she was was she played remember the Sybil Shepherd sitcom Sybil that was on a few years ago yes. several years ago mm-hmm. she played Sybil's daughter on that as well oh okay and she was probably a late teenager like a teenager in her nineteen or eighteen around that time when she played a character on that show all right that's cool yeah all right. So anyway, at the end of this scene, multiple nine one one calls go into the Twin Peaks. Police Department Dispatch. That's the end of that. Yep, someone's on their way. (laughs) Yes. So, next scene. Back in Buckhorn, South Dakota, we see Gordon, Albert, Tammy, Diane, uh, Detective Mackley, and Principal Hastings arriving in two cars. I guess Gordon, Albert, Tammy, and Diane are in one car, and then you've got Mackley in the other car with Principal Hastings in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to the place where Hastings says Major Briggs was hibernating and Ruth Davenport was killed. Uh, it's a rundown industrial warehouse area. Uh, Tammy goes to Principal Hastings and asks if this is the place. Hastings says he went through the hole in the fence and then 15 to 20 feet, but then he didn't remember what happened. Right. Yeah. So Hastings, Albert, and Gordon, all three spot a woodsman lurking near one of the buildings. Hastings is still in the car. Albert and Gordon. uh, (laughs) Hastings never gets out of the car. (laughs) No. He never gets out of the car. (laughs) And uh, so uh, uh, Gordon says, think there's one over there, Albert. Albert says, we'll soon find out. Soon find out, yeah. yeah. So they go through the fence. Gordon goes ahead, goes 15 to 20 feet inside the fence. Albert is behind him by several feet. Uh, And all of a sudden he looks up in the sky and he sees like a black dot. And then all of a sudden there's a vortex in the sky, or as I wrote, a maelstrom in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so the rest of the group see nothing except Gordon just kind of starts waving his arms in the sky a little bit. Right. Gordon goes in, electricity crackles. Yes. And and then there's a vortex in the sky and then a a kind of a cutaway shot shows that no one else really sees what Gordon sees. Right. It's just uh, nothing going on. Right. And so ultimately, this vortex or maelstrom kind of comes down and sort of fills his entire field of view. I don't know if it necessarily goes down over him. But then as he's looking in, he sees three woodsmen 
inside standing on a staircase and so all of, then we see the the point of view of Albert looking toward Gordon and it looks like there's like a yellow colored light around Gordon and he starts kind of winking out and then right before Gordon gets pulled in or winks out Albert pulls him to safety in this weird jittery movement that was really kind of cool photographically speaking <laughs> <laughs> and uh so then Gordon says, uh, well, I guess we found out. No, wait, no. Albert says, Albert says well, I guess we found out. We sure did, Albert. Oh, so. come on. That's not a very good lynch. <laughs> we sure did, Albert. <laughs> Your lynch is off tonight. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have, to, okay. I'll have to practice it a little bit. Now okay. well, that, that's not a great that's not a great Gordon line. I so, guess not. So we then, sure did Albert. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So right after that, Albert's kind of looking around, and he finds a headless body laying in the tall grass nearby. They walk up to it, and Albert goes, "Ruth Davenport, I presume." And yeah, so, and so they start looking at the body. Albert is photographing the body with his phone or some sort of a camera of some sort and um spoiler alert ruth davenport apparently had fake tits <laughs> no, they were quite sizable <laughs> they were sizable and quite um firm yes i realized you know she's supposed to be dead but i was like man them are sizable tits for no wonder principal hastings <laughs> was in love with her <laughs> that's what it was all about so it always is yeah. yes so while a uh, gordon and Albert are uh, observing the body. Diane, still in one of the cars, is looking across at the other car that Mackley and Hastings are in, and she sees a woodsman sneaking up on the car, and she says nothing to anybody about it. Right. She lets it happen. So we cut back to Albert, and Albert says, looks like coordinates are written on her arm. Then we cut back to Mackley's car, where Mackley and Hastings are in. Hastings in the back seat. Mackley hears a loud crunching sound from the back seat of his car. Mackley looks in the back seat of his car and is utterly horrified by what he sees. <laughs> he jumps out of the car, then grabs his radio and calls on the radio for backup and get the address to 2240 sycamore sycamore imagine yeah, that damn of course <laughs> right under the sycamore tree okay and i'll see you <laughs> uh little jimmy scott i don't know if we've ever talked about little, little jimmy scott on the show the I'm the sure we have. african-american guy who sings the sycamore trees yeah what an amazing singer yeah no doubt about that guy yeah that, hmm? That really added an amazing touch to that scene in the uh, the original series in season two. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, if you there's a documentary about uh, Little Jimmy Scott, and I, I'm sure it's called Little Jimmy Scott colon something. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> if you ever get a chance to see the documentary about Little Jimmy Scott, whatever it's called, interesting person with an interesting life story. And definitely worth checking out what he's about. And then once you see the biography uh, documentary about him, you'll want to listen to a lot more of his music. So, mm, okay, um, really interesting guy. So that was a cool little Easter egg that they, yeah, uh, it's on Sycamore. Yeah. So anyway, he's calling for backup, 
And Diane says, there's no backup for this. <laughs> there's no backup for this. Well, she doesn't say it like that, but I was just like, damn right, Diane. That's right. There's no yeah. backup for this. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> so after they hear uh, Detective Mackley yelling out, Gordon, Albert, and Tammy rush up to see what's going on. And they look in the back seat of Mackley's car, and there is Hastings. The top of his head has been crunched off or ripped off. Ooh. <laughs> uh, crunched <Gordon>. off. <laughs> yes, crunched off. Like the uh, like the, the heads of the people in the radio station when the woodsman came. Exactly true. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. So Gordon crouches down and he says, he's dead. <laughs> I wanted him to say, wrapped in plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too funny. So, um, and horrifying. I mean, it was like yeah. utterly ridiculous and, and horrifying at the same time. Yeah. But yeah. really a cool scene because oh, yeah. we discover that uh, Gordon Cole and Albert are incredibly aware of these vortexes. You know, this is, this is what we've known all along. And yep, they know it too. They're not in any way confused about what's going on uh you know they're see they know what we know kind of thing you know mm-hmm. and, and um so that was interesting um it was certainly interesting that gordon was standing there as part of it and if no one else was there he would have got sucked into that vortex but albert pulled him out of it oh yeah um, hmm. And interesting, of course, that I love that shot where they they pulled away from the action and you saw it as a wide shot and you could see that Gordon was there with his hands up, but no one else could see Mm -hmm. unless you were right where he was standing. You couldn't see what was going on like he could. Right. You had to be at that at that precise spot in order to uh, have access to the the zone. Yeah, that certain location. Yes. Ooh. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. After that, at the next scene, we're at the Double R Diner. Bobby and Shelly talk to their daughter, Becky. She- oh, it was going so well. It was so- Even though Becky's a complete nutcase. Mm-hmm. I love him. I hate him. Oh, I know. Um, She's like, I want a divorce, but I love him. But I hate him. I'm going to leave him, but I love him. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, my gosh. She's all back yeah, and forth. Yeah. Well, you know, she comes by it honestly. I mean, she's just like her mother, uh, falling right. for really fucked up guys. I mean, Shelly falling for uh, Leo and and her for Stephen. So yes. So anyway, and then uh, Bobby says, <laughs> "Wait," but Bobby says she has to pay for the door that she put six bullet holes into, and he, right. he even says that he will loan her the money. Well, here's the other thing I thought about during that scene uh-huh. too was that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last episode, it was hinted at that that Becky had done something or knew something, and Stephen knew what she had done. He says something like that. I know what you what you right. I can't remember exactly what he said. I know what you've done, or you know. But so mm-hmm. I'm I, during that scene. I'm like, hmm, is she just like a battered wife syndrome? Who just she loves him, she hates him, she loves him, she hates him, or is she hiding something where she hates him? Uh... She wants to get rid of him, but then. When her parents start talking about, we'll help you, we'll, you can get away from him, all that, then she realizes, oh, shit, I can't. Yeah. He's got this whatever he's got on me, and I can't leave him because then all of that, whatever that is, will unravel. Right. So, yeah, I didn't even yeah. think of it that way. He's got something hanging over her head, and so it's yeah. it's, it's not so easy just to walk away. Right, yeah. What her, does he know that could yeah. 
that he could use against her if she tried to walk away. Yeah. Right. Because, so I don't, yeah, I, I wondered, yeah. hmm, is that part of it or is she just got the battered wife syndrome? It could or, be. You know. Yeah. You know. Both. And, yeah. uh, you know, Bobby is a, you know, used to be a troubled youth in his day and his father had faith in him and he turned out pretty good. And I think Bobby had said that he, you know, he was going to give Stephen the benefit of the doubt, but at this point he, he doesn't think Stephen is salvageable anymore. Right. So Shelly says that, that they love her and they will help her in any way that they can. So it's such a nice, oh, Shelly and Bobby together. You're just so happy. Everything's so great. Right. They've got a daughter. They're happy together. <laughs> They're taking care of their daughter. You're so happy for Bobby. He was right. such a troubled youth and now he's a good cop and mm-hmm. got a wife who loves him. And then. Right. Who's, uh, who do we see through? the window walking up and grinning at Shelly and Shelly sees who it is and it is Red played by Balthazar Getty outside of the window. She gleefully jumps up and runs out to meet him. She goes out and (sighs) they kiss and agree to meet later. They're like a couple of kids just can't wait to to get a hold of each other. And Bobby just looks devastated. Yeah. Oh, broke my heart, man. I can't believe it. Yeah, so Shelly goes back into the diner so that we re- we realize at this point that Shelly and Bobby are obviously divorced and it's not a big, happy, supportive family. I mean, granted, Bobby and Shelly are both supportive of their daughter, but they are no longer in love with each other. Yeah, they're not together. Yeah. She she tries to be she at least pulls Red to the side and tries to to not do it right in front of him, but it's just oh so right. good. Especially when you know what a creep red is. It just breaks your heart. I know. Yet again, you know, Shelly showing very bad judgment in <laughs> the men. <laughs> You know? guys yeah right. well and i'm sure that's part of it you know uh, who knows but i was like ah oh, did did shelly leave bobby because he just became too much of a good guy and she, right. you know she likes bad boys of course she does like those bad boys that's true and bobby at one time was a bad boy but yes he's changed a lot he's a responsible member of society and a police officer at this point so yeah so yeah shelly runs back to to a bad boy hmm. yep what are you going to do? So once she- Shelly gets back into the diner and sits down, they're about to continue the conversation. A gunshot rings out and a bullet flies through the window of the diner. Everyone ducks. I mean, uh, everyone hits the deck and Norma goes and turns off the lights and Bobby runs out and I'm like, oh shit, what's going on? And did Red- Bobby jumped right into action, baby. He sure did. And we're thinking at this moment, what the hell happened? Did Red uh, like fire a bullet into the window trying to kill Bobby or something? No, right. that wasn't it. <laughs> As right. Bobby runs out to investigate, turns out a boy in a passing van had accidentally fired a gun belonging to his father, unbeknownst to his mother. Um, and um, they're pulled out. Bobby runs out, and the woman is holding the gun up, and it's like, and she gives it to Bobby. And uh, there's, there's a big traffic jam, and horns are honking. And the little boy is a little creepy. He's standing there against the van, just kind of looking at Bobby like, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, creepy. I, there was definitely that dad's in camo, the kid's in camo. Right. They're obviously... Uh, not good. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it was like, oh, I know exactly who these people are supposed to be. 
Um, and right. definitely like like father like son. Yeah, I guess that that's probably it. Yeah. Goddamn, yeah. Poli- goddamn police officer. Yeah, exactly. Don't trust thing. cops. Yeah, that kind and, of a thing. So yeah. So with all the cars and the there's a horn honking and honking and honking. I'm like, what the fuck, Bobby? Man, why don't you? Fuck, t- it's on the horn. Can't you see a kid just shot up the place? Relax. <laughs> so Bobby goes around to uh, see who's honking the horn and it's an old lady in a car and Bobby's talking to her and she's screaming about I'm late I'm late we need to get there in time and uh, she's sick she's sick and I'm like who the hell is sick and we're gonna be late for dinner <laughs> right exactly you know, it was another crazy another fat lady because Lynch loves fat ladies mm-hmm. and she keeps yelling that she's sick and I'm like who the hell is she talking about and all of a sudden uh uh like a 10-year-old girl rises up like a zombie with green puke running out of her mouth. <laughs> and Bobby's like, what the fuck is this? And the old lady starts yelling horribly. I was like, what the hell is this all about? Right? I, I didn't – it was like very discombobulating. I was like, what, what the hell is this supposed to signify? Or is it just – some crazy random bullshit that's going on. I don't know. Right. I got kind of frustrated because up until that point, Bobby had been really take charge, you know? Yeah. And I thought, oh, they're showing, you know, how, what a great cop Bobby is. He's, you know, he's what a, mm-hmm. he's a good guy now. And, right. and then he gets there and he's just stymied about what to do. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Bobby, come on, take charge. So you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that scene was about. I don't either. Uh, you know, other than uh, it's a typical, unless it was a, a MacGuffin, you know, the the shots fired, we thought it was going to be something important, and it just turned out to be a random act oh, of violence. More like a red herring then, not a MacGuffin. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That, uh, yeah. That, that could very well be it. I <laughs> mean, it may mean something at some point. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm try- I was trying to remember back anywhere in any episode of ever seeing somebody behaving like that, and I, I couldn't think of anything. I don't um, remember anything like that either, and I certainly hope, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was a joke about Walking Dead. I don't know um, oh. what that was supposed to be. Yeah, could be. Cause I, I, yeah, because you remember when uh, they were doing, before Twin Peaks was actually, uh, the, the new season actually came out, they were doing these little teaser um, commercials mm-hmm. talking about, you know, before before the dead walked, before, you know, something like that, there was... there was uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, there was Twin Peaks, that kind of yeah. thing, you know. It was like, yeah. making, you know, before... Before Thrones played games or something like that. Right, you know, I remember all Multiple that, yeah. things like that. If yeah. there's a dragon in the next episode, I'm out. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe we're just poking a stick in the eye of The Walking Dead for some reason or another. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, and again, this could just be a red herring, could mean nothing, or it could come back to mean something. Right. You know, if, I mean, if the corn is rotten, as we find out in the next scene, <laughs> corn is black maybe everybody's getting sick oh there you go <laughs> you know it's okay yeah so that does bring us to the next scene which is <laughs> in the twin peaks police department where hawk shows truman an old map of the area where briggs uh note describes the note that they found in that metal tube and hawk says this map is very old but always current it is a living thing and they're looking at the map, and they and he, I think he mentions that Major Briggs Station was on Blue Pine Mountain, a very Pine Mountain, yeah. 
a very revered sacred site. Um, yeah. Yeah. He said, the information in the note will take us here. And then I think Truman asks about, well, what's this symbol mean? A campfire? And Hawk says, that's a fire symbol, a type of fire more like modern day electricity. And so Truman goes, good. And Hawk says, depends on the intention behind it. Behind the fire, yeah. Yeah. And um, who says it? I think, I guess it's Hawk says, the major also gave us a date the day after tomorrow. If you yeah. read, yeah. Then he said, if you read these stars, and he's pointing to the map, you find that same date, which refers you to here. And then I think he points to the black corn. He says it. Symboli- corn typically symbolizes fertility, but with the black corn is diseased and unnatural death. And yep. uh, and then he says the two symbols put together, and Truman goes black fire. <laughs> and Hawk shakes his head yes, or nods his head yes. Yeah. So then Truman asks him about the black circle with looks like little ears coming out of it at the top of the map. And Hawk says, Frank, you don't ever want to know about that. Truman goes, really? Hawk goes, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, because that symbol looks so much like an alien. And not to, not yeah. to uh, spoiler alert the, the Twin Peaks novel for you, but it starts getting into some alien stuff in a few pages. Right. Um, which, which may or may not have anything to do with anything. But that symbol, every time I see it, it's like it looks like a little kind of Martian. But yeah, that's true. Definitely, well, it could be a Martian. It, maybe it's a bug. Right. Oh, yeah. Like a frog a bu- bug. A mouth-sized bug. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly bite-sized bug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so, hmm, interesting shit. So then, who calls the Twin Peaks Police Department, Lodger? Why, it's the log lady. Yeah, the log lady, Margaret Lannerman. And uh, what, does she, what does she tell Hawk? It, well, first she asks, Hawk, can you hear me? Oh, Twice. Yeah. A couple of times, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, so yeah. and then she says, you found something. What did you find? Mm-hmm. And he tells her, I can't tell you that, Margaret. Yeah. And then she says, my log is afraid of fire, which is a great line. Mm-hmm. I, my log <laughs> is afraid of fire. There's fire where you are going, Hawk. <laughs> There's fire where you are going. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, man. So she she's very, very much in tune as to what's going on, even though she hasn't probably left the confines of her house for quite some time but she's very yeah her her log is telling her what's going on exactly for sure yes for sure uh so back they say good night to... oh yeah that's right good night hawk good night mark um <laughs> then there's the knock on the door and we forgot to mention in the scene with the van with the kid who fired shots uh-huh. while, while bobby's there another cop named jesse pulls up and says uh i just i just came from big ed's gas farm so we also know that Big Ed is still there, or at least the gas farm is still there. Right. Which is, you know, the, the gas station he had in the original series. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope we get to see uh, Big Ed at some point in time. Yeah, that would be nice, too. And more of um, uh, James. You know, James was at the bar one night in one of the first episodes, and then we haven't seen him since. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I wonder, is that all he's going to do, one little cameo like that? Certainly not, I hope. Right, yeah. It would, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm hoping yeah. we see him more. Right. Um, It'd be pretty he also came in with some hot guy, and I'm like, who's this hot guy? I think he was like <laughs> British, British or Scottish or something. I'm like, where'd hmm. James and the hot guy go? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay so so jesse comes back and and knocks on the door and asks truman if he wants to see his new car oh, and truman's yeah. like maybe tomorrow or in the morning or something that's right i forgot about that <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty random but uh, you know yeah that's that's normal human interaction but it just didn't occur at, at an appropriate time right yeah that's all and again you know we've you know it, when we first watched the original series, it was like Lucy, Hawk, Andy, and Sheriff Truman. You know, now there are many more deputies working. <laughs> Twin Peaks PD has gotten a lot bigger. Oh, yeah. And they've got that big old um, uh, dispatch room with all the computers and communication equipment and That's stuff. That's right. Yeah. Damn. They are, they are way high tech now than they were 25 years ago. Yeah. Right. How, uh, Twin Peaks was only 50,000 people, uh, but I mean, 50,000 people is quite a few. I guess if you, I don't know how many cops you would have in town the size of 50,000 people, you would probably have 10 or 20, if not more, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's more true to life now. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Maybe these cops will have something to do. Maybe they won't. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in Twin Peaks, there's no telling. There's a lot of crazy shit going on. Right. So here's the thing, too. And I was talking earlier about uh, in kind of in the pre-show about what day is it? Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, when they went and saw at Principal Hastings, they asked him to circle the picture of the major and sign it. He signed it September 29th. Um, since then, uh, Albert had dinner with the lady that works at the morgue, and that seemed yeah. to be the evening. Mm -hmm. And then this stuff that happened at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department definitely seems to be later in the day. Yes. Um, uh, so, but I'm st and then and then when Gordon and all of them go out to the to the certain location, mm -hmm. still daylight hours. Yes. So, so I'm just trying to figure out. I still think it must be September 29th, even though we kind of zoom, not zoom, but we kind of move back and forth between daylight and nighttime as things go on. Um, but then there are time zone changes as well. So true. Yeah, South Dakota but, versus uh, uh, Washington and Las Vegas. Yeah, and Las Vegas. Yeah, that's uh, two or three different time zones. Right. Yeah. So I still think it's supposed to be, and I don't know why it seems uh, like a big deal to me, why it seems important, but that, that, I still feel like it's supposed <laughs> to be, because we definitely know something's going to happen, happen October 1st or 2nd when they go to that location that's on Major Briggs's note. That's right. definitely going to be the climax of right. the show, I think. Um, so I guess that's why I'm so interested in what day are we supposed to be at right now. Probably. So, yeah, I'm curious if by the time that date comes... You know, Cole, Gordon Cole and um, Albert and everyone else uh, ends up back in Twin Peaks as well at the, on the same date. So they all right. end up going at the same time. So right. I, that's probably why you're so interested in the timing and the dates and stuff. Yeah, it just seems like that's all all of that should be kind of converging at some point. Yes. Right. Good point. Because later on, uh, when they start talking about the uh, coordinates and stuff, um, there, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, right, we're, well, so, okay, that's kind of the next scene, right? So that brings us back to uh, South Dakota. Gordon's hand. Uh, they're back at, uh, I guess, uh, Detective Mackley's um, office, and uh, Gordon's hand is uncontrollably shaking after his experiences that day. Cat on a hot <laughs> tin roof. 
<laughs> Never done that before. <laughs> so Albert yes. Albert suggests they forego the coffee and get some warm milk instead <laughs> for the cat right. on the roof. <laughs> oh, Albert, you're so funny. <laughs> so, so anyway, Gordon mishears him and says, yes, the picture you took of Ruth. I'd like to right. see it, Albert. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He mis yes, he mishears Albert saying roof and Gordon thinks he said Ruth. But, right. Which brings us to Albert showing the picture that he took of uh, in particular of Ruth's arm with the coordinates written on it and at the very same time Diane happens to be in the room sitting on a very tall stool for some weird reason and so Diane is staring at it and is visibly mouthing the numbers trying to memorize them Albert no Albert notices her doing that and she tries to play cool and uh, kind of pretend like she wasn't doing anything right then she asks if she could smoke again, and Albert says, you know, that's not good for you. And he's like, I know. Fuck you, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Albert, we love every word that comes out of your fucking mouth. Oh, who doesn't love Albert? <laughs> we love Albert. So then, um, is it Albert or Gordon that said that the numbers indicate a small town in the Northwest? And so, hey, oh, that's our first indication. Okay, they're probably going to be heading to Twin Peaks real soon. Oh, man, I wonder if I just missed that or if I just forgotten that. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, but... Uh, I may have zoned out a little bit at this part because it was kind of... Didn't well, seem important, but... Could be. But then they kind of distracted us. Right after that line, Tammy and Mackley arrive with trays of coffee and donuts. Right. A cop's delight or something like that. <laughs> ah, the policeman's dream. <laughs> the policeman's dream, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Detective Mackley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, of course, you know, since they brought coffee, Diane wants to smoke. Mackley says, it's not allowed. And Diane says, you know how good a cigarette would taste with this coffee. And, of course, Mackley gives in, smoke them if you got them. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> yep. And so as they're eating their donuts and drinking their coffee, Mackley said, no suspects were found in the area. Positive ID on Ruth Davenport. <laughs> of course, Albert's line, I don't suppose you found Major Briggs' head anywhere. <laughs> Mackley's like we looked no trace nobody heard anything no shots um, Albert said a bullet didn't do that to Hastings and uh, then they start talking about what they saw Gordon says that he and Albert saw somebody Albert said looked like a homeless man old clothes beard wool cap and then of course finally Diane uh, decides to give up some information she says that she might have seen someone like that get out of the police car but she wasn't sure yeah she's real helpful <laughs> right yeah yeah I you know I still can't figure out what's going on with Diane I know yeah it, it doesn't sound too good she's not being very helpful and she we know she's colluding colluding with uh uh, the doppelganger um so that kind of sucks and then um uh so cole then says that when he was in the vortex that he saw dirty bearded men in a room right yeah yeah so i think that's pretty much everything of that particular right scene. right so i guess you know what well, we kind of learned that gordon and albert don't know their woodsmen they and and maybe haven't seen them before so 
Right. Yeah. That seems like, yeah, some new information to them. Though we know that um, uh, David Bowie's character in uh, Fire Walk With Me had an encounter with uh, some woodsmen when he went to the room above the convenience store. Right, yeah. 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 Well, what's the character he played? Philip Jeffries. Yeah, Philip Jeffries. Okay. So, so now coming to your favorite scene in the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I get online mm-hmm. and it just drives me crazy that there are so many people that are just, just rave about the character of Dougie and just think it's so great and that, you know... Kyle MacLachlan, who I really like as an actor and who actually really is doing a great job. But it's just like, oh, Kyle MacLachlan deserves so many awards. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that, you know. Well, you know, I I I guess everyone had, you know. I think everyone his, has something. Right. I think his portrayal as the doppelganger, Bad Cooper, deserves awards, but as Absolutely. Dougie, fuck that. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess the, the you know, when you really think about the fact that he plays Bad Cooper, the doppelganger, and has played Agent Cooper as we remember him mm-hmm. in in early episodes and uh, is playing the Dougie character and they are all three different characters and he d- he does Dougie well for what he's asked to do it just doesn't seem like it would be that hard to do it um, but you know uh, yeah, yeah I get that uh, yeah I love Kyle McLaughlin as an actor and I think he is doing an amazing job uh-huh. but if he was just playing Dougie I would be like no <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no real reason for accolades here right yeah I mean it's almost like a palate cleanser uh scene right after the the horrifying um um uh, hastings getting his head ripped off but whatever so right yeah. so the next scene is in las vegas nevada and we're at the office of uh, bushnell mullins and bushnell calls dougie into his office uh, mullins thanks dougie for his good work in helping to root out police corruption and etc etc and but then he says that the the Mitchums deserve their $30 million payout um, because he says it was a legitimate claim, which is quite a shift from what people were thinking before and what, you know, Dougie may right. have kind of uncovered. So I, I'm not sure what's going on with the Mullins right now. But anyway, he says, Badlin Bud always punched above his weight class, and he had taken out a secondary policy to cover his play on the Mitchum policy, which, because it truly was an accident, covered his potential loss. Uh, and he says, Bushnell doubled down. Nobody keeps battling butt on the ropes for long. <laughs> and uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of a weird shift from before. It's almost like uh, Mullins is on the take himself by you know taking out this secondary policy and so right by either him, he mm-hmm. either he's going to make money from that secondary policy yeah. so he, he can only make money on it if he if it's a legitimate claim he can only claim his claim right if the legitimate claim so if he if he doubled down and really did double down then you know mm-hmm. he would get 60 million and he'd only have to give them 30 right presumably yeah, um, exactly. So, hey, it's definitely win-win in that situation. Right. There are some other fan theories that I read this week that they think he was trying to set Dougie up to go meet the Mitchums, knowing that they would, uh, knowing that Dougie is kind of brain dead and right. would they would just kill him on sight rather than ask why he was there with, you know, 
he wouldn't be smart enough to tell him he had a $30 million check. Yeah. I don't know if Bushnell Millen's that smart. He doesn't seem that smart to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be that would be kind of cruel and heartless on his part if, if, if that truly, if that fan theory is actually true. Right. But he, but he did let Dougie go off. He, you know, he, he told Dougie that the Mitchum brothers want to see him at 530 and that they're sending a car. So, yeah. Right. It it occurred to me during this scene mm-hmm. um, that what Cooper, what um, Kyle McLaughlin is really doing playing Doug, Dougie is uh-huh. just kind of an elaborate Stan Laurel impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even. I don't even know if it's elaborate. He's just kind of doing Stan Laurel as a, as a, <laughs> without words. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if that was his intent, but I was like, oh, he's doing Stan Laurel here with the blinking <laughs> eyes and the kind of bewildered, stupid look. And yeah. I never, yeah. I never really thought of that, but yeah, that's true. The only thing, <laughs> only thing missing is a black derby on his head. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, all right. So then they cut to the next scene where Rodney Mitchum is eating breakfast in his mid-century modern home. <laughs> yeah, this is a scene where I thought, oh, now it's definitely got to be September 30th. It's morning. They're eating breakfast. Uh, but then they specifically show us the clock that says 2.30, right. presumably p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. even though they're just waking up, and like I said, they work in they work in a casino. Of course, their their main time to be busy is at night. Right. So perfectly logical that they would sleep till two thirty in the morning, uh, two thirty in the afternoon, and get up to go to work at night. Exactly. So all right. So while he's eating, his brother Bradley joins him and tells him that he had a dream that lasted all night about killing that Douglas Jones fuck. I can't <laughs> wait to kill this guy. <laughs> you know, normally when there's a dream in a David Lynch thing, it's super interesting. But in this case, <laughs> I didn't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. it certainly came to be important in a little bit. Oh, yeah, it certainly did. So they, so then we cut to the next scene. It's 530. Uh, at 530, Bushnell Mullins is escorting Dougie out of the building to meet the Mitchum car. But Dougie is distracted by a vision of the one-armed man, Philip Gerard, beckoning him away, which leads him to a pie shop. And see, I thought it was a coffee shop because I thought it had a name that was something like a coffee shop and maybe it was a a coffee shop so the whole time he's carrying the box i think he's carrying a box of coffee Uh. but we find out that that's not what it is (laughs) okay yeah i I might have to go back and look to see what the sign actually said on the uh, the side of that building right yeah i thought it said something about pie but whatever it may have and i may have just missed it because so then, yeah. yeah. So then, a few minutes later, Mullins is escorting Dougie, who now has a big box in his arms, to the curb where he is helped into a waiting limo, and he's got the thirty million dollar check in his breast in his breast pocket. Uh, Mullins says to him, "Knock him dead, champ," and <laughs> Dougie goes dead. <laughs> so then we have a great Viva Las Vegas montage as the limo is driving Dougie to his destination. And oh, lucky us, the drivers dealt with Dougie before, so he knows to get him out of the car whenever they get where they're going. <laughs> That's right, and he calls him Red Door. Hey, Red Door. How you doing, Red Door? 
<laughs> so uh, instead of driving him to uh, Santino's restaurant, the driver takes Dougie out, Good Cooper, out to the desert to meet with the Mitchums, who presumably are uh, going to kill him until... So, um, but anyway, as Bradley and Rodney are out there waiting, Bradley seems to be having some second thoughts about killing Dougie. He says stuff like, he did nail Ike the Spike for us. And then he tells him of his dream again. And that something about, uh, in the dream, Rodney, the your cut was healed on your face. And he peels the Band-Aid off of Rodney's face. And lo and behold, the cut is healed. Ooh, the dream <laughs> is coming true. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, imagine that. Wow, imagine that. So then finally, Dougie arrives in the limo, and Bradley says they can't kill him if what's in the box... Oh, wait, yeah. After Cooper gets out of the car, they see that he's carrying this big box, and Bradley seems shocked by this, and he says that they can't kill him if what's in the box is the same as what was in his dream. And so guess what happens? (laughs) As he goes to investigate and his brother's about to shoot Dougie, uh, what's in the box is a cherry pie. Turns out what was in the box in his dream. Yes, that was in the box. So so they can't kill him. They can't kill him. Nope. Oh, what else does he have? (laughs) So Bradley frisks Dougie and finds the $30 million check. They are ecstatic. They love this this guy. guy. So what do you do when you love a guy? You take him to Santino's for dinner. Hell yeah, that's where they thought they were going to begin with. Exactly. So they even say they're going to give Dougie's son, Sonny Jim, a gym set. Every kid needs to have a gym set. (laughs) And you wrote down a lot more shit from this episode than I did. I'm I'm sorry. It's just all these little Uh, stupid details. And of course, they, they toast each other. And of course, Dougie, he doesn't. Doesn't know how to toast, so they have to put the champagne glass in his hand, and he drinks it. Yeah. Yeah. Piano player is playing in the corner. And Dougie seems to be enchanted by the piano music. When he plays a slow song. So I couldn't, I still don't know who who was playing. I can't figure out who was playing the piano player. I know. At Um, at first I was thinking, is that Angelo Badalamenti? I know he, that's his song, but then I was like, is that Burt Bacharach? And (laughs) Well, that's like, funny because he looks so goddamn familiar, and I'm like, I know I have seen this guy in something somewhere. I know, and, and I didn't. I don't think that was Burt Bacharach because Burt no. Bacharach. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But the funny thing was, the piano player was not credited in you know at the end of the episode. So I was like, Yeah, what, what the I fuck, tried- man. I tried Googling it just a few minutes ago, actually, while you were talking, and I was mm-hmm. like, can't find anything where it says who he was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, because I'm pretty sure it wasn't Angelo Badalamenti. Um, right. I've yeah. seen pictures of him, and he doesn't look quite like that. And that that yeah. the thing that's really killing me is, I know I've seen that guy who was the piano player. I know I've seen him somewhere in something. Right. And Maybe. Um, eventually, it'll online, someone will post who it was, but it... it I- it's driving me crazy. Yeah, me too. I mean, and it it may have been that whoever was doing the piano player is a famous pianist and said he didn't want to be credited for some reason right. or another. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird. But uh, another thing happened as the piano music first kicks in, a well-dressed old lady stops to thank Dougie, Mr. Jackpots, for saving her life. Yes, it's the old hag who is following Dougie around 
in the casino while he was hitting jackpots and he was pointing out uh, uh, slot machines to her for her to try. And she, she hit so many jackpots too that day and so changed her life. She's no longer uh, a, a dirty old hag. Now she's just a well-dressed <laughs> old hag. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, other than... You know, Dougie seems to be slightly affected by it. And of course, it's when the the slower music is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly it was it, for some reason that scene was really emotional. It, it really kind of got to me. It okay. brought a little tear to my eye. And I don't know why, because this wasn't really anything. Wow. Spectacular. Say it ain't but, so. Lodger actually know, right? was affected by a Dougie scene. That's, I imagine oh my that. goodness, miracles never cease. <laughs> <laughs> so after the old lady shows up, the cherry pie arrives with ditzy candy in tow, rambling on about traffic. And, oh, uh, that was the other thing because when we we talked to you, you mentioned Viva Las Vegas that mm-hmm. plays by the the version by Sean Colvin when Dougie's being driven out to the desert. Yeah, and I'm watching I'm watching that scene and I'm like, where's all the fucking traffic? When did they film this? At four o'clock in the morning? There's <laughs> there's always traffic on the strip. It is always bumper to bumper. You can't go on the strip that fast. Yeah. Uh, and then later on, Candy's talking about, there was so much traffic. I'm like, not when they drove Ducky out there, there wasn't. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> uh, so hilarious. So after the pie arrives, they start eating the pie. And one of the most famous lines ever, Dougie says, damn good while he's eating the pie. Well, I think that one of the Mitchum brothers says, this is the damn good pie. And Dougie goes, damn good. Damn good. Yes. I was hoping that immediately upon eating some cherry pie that he would get back all of his memory and he'd be back to being uh, Dale Cooper all over again. But no, didn't happen. Not quite there. Yeah. And then they start calling for candy, and I'm like, God damn it, if you have three girls that are all the fucking same, why do you keep calling for the one who's fucking brain dead? Can't one of the other girls do something? Because candy is definitely brain dead. Call on one of the other ones. Well, wait a minute, Lodger. Maybe candy happens to be the, <laughs> the smartest of all three of them. <laughs> oh, say it ain't so. Jeez. Christ. Uh, she actually eventually, you know, answers to her name. Yeah. Eventually. And oh, she, man. she can pour coffee. Uh, apparently. Yeah, she, um. pour, she poured coffee <laughs> during their breakfast scene earlier. That's today. right, yeah. But uh, At least we think it was her. They, they all look alike. I can't tell one from the other. Well, but, that's you know, probably true. Maybe can you straight guys tell them apart? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little difficult. They they kind of look like clones of each other almost. <laughs> right. There's, I, so, Yeah, of course they're supposed to. But So anyway, yeah, yeah Rodney and Bradley and, and Cooper, they toast once again. And um, Bradley says, here's to the pie that saved your life. And our money. <laughs> I didn't even write that down. <laughs> and then the piano player starts playing the song Heartbreaking by Angelo Badalamente and by an unknown pianist who we are going to find out who that unknown pianist is. Yes. <laughs> Somebody posted on our Facebook page, A Slippery Slope, or tweet me at Slope Podcast and tell me who the hell that was playing piano. He looked so familiar. Yeah, I got to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to mention too. Yeah. 
Um, we forgot to mention that. I'm sure you noticed this in the credits. One of the boys who was playing ball at the beginning of the show uh-huh. uh, was called Travis Frost. I'm assuming he's related to Mark Frost. Maybe oh, not. But hmm. It's probably maybe, very likely. Yeah, could be yeah. his probably his grandson, but mm-hmm. possibly his son. But uh, you know, and of course, Frost isn't that uncommon of, um, of a name. It's somewhat common, so maybe it's just a coincidence. But maybe I assumed he was related. Yeah. The uh, guy who plays Jesse, the young cop, is named James Grixoni. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked him up, and he's been in a few things. Um, he looked somewhat familiar, but looking at IMDb, I couldn't see where I'd seen him in anything before. Ah, uh, okay. Hmm. I and- think that's all the notes I have. Okay. Yeah, me too. I got nothing else. <laughs> Interesting but, uh, episode. Lots of stuff happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, lots of surprises. You know, the whole right. Shelly Bobby thing and Miriam is still alive. And, right. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to yeah. see the uh, the zone that uh, Hastings was talking about. Yeah. Some, yeah. That was definitely, I think, to me, the one of the major things was knowing for sure now that Gordon Cole and Albert are familiar with these vortexes. Maybe they haven't seen them before. Yeah. But apparently they've they're familiar. They're aware of them. They've heard of them or something. So Yeah, what's what's so weird is that, you know, I was always under the impression that, you know, there was only these weird portals uh in, you know, the Twin Peaks area, but now you got one in fucking um uh Buckhorn, South Dakota, and I mean, right. gosh. And then, you know, there was some kind of an artificially created one in uh, New York, with, you know, that big uh, glass box that uh, right. Bad Cooper had made. I mean, hmm, just really some some wild shit. Yeah, that's true, because they definitely, you know, we know they're around Twin Peaks, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't think about that yet. This one's in Buckhorn, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I don't think we've been told that there's anything important in Buckhorn. For some reason in my mind, I feel like there's a military installation there, but maybe there isn't. Is yeah. Buckhorn a real, I don't even know if Buckhorn's a real place. Hmm. Yeah. I uh, mean, or if it's fictional. Um, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds legit, but maybe not. I mean, you know. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, yeah know. really interesting. I didn't think about the fact that yeah, this is this is in Buckhorn where where he sees the vortex, and right. there's woodsmen there as well, not Ex- just in Twin Peaks. Exactly. So, and we hmm. know that uh, woodsmen came down around uh, White Sands, New Mexico, after the atomic blast. Right. Or ten years after the atomic blast, at least. So, how many different you know vortexes are there across the United States or across the world? I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know French. I was going to try and figure out what Twin Peaks would would um, translate into in French. Dual Mountain. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know French or any hmm. other foreign language well enough to know. Yeah, we might have to uh, use uh, Google Translate to help right. us out there. <laughs> right. So cool. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting if there were other vortexes throughout the world. But yeah, um, really weird. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what foreign people think about Twin Peaks, people who watch it in other countries. They're like, America's really fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll bet you there's a big following in, in France. I would think so. I'm, I mean, Lynch is very popular there, but I think he's popular all over Europe. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's probably true. So I'm sure. Because didn't he, he's done commercials for in foreign countries, I think. Oh, yeah? I, th- I feel like he has or, you know, but I could be wrong. For good times, make it Santori times. <laughs> that's a, yeah, for our listeners out there, that's a reference to Lost in Translation with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. Is it? Yes, that's what Bill Murray is doing, and that's what he's oh, doing he's in voicing Jap- a commercial. Yeah, in Japan, he's doing a commercial for Santori whiskey or something. Um, yeah, and that's his line for good times. Make it Santori times. Oh, wow. See, I was thinking of Santino's, the restaurant where they were taking Cooper, uh, Dougie. So that's interesting. Uh, For a good meal, go to Santino's or something. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to part 12. Can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, the plot is thickening and thickening and thickening and things are converging. So, yeah, it's going to be some really cool shit coming down the the next. uh, How many episodes left are there? Nine? Mm, uh, eight? Uh, seven. Oh, that's right. It's only 18. It's not 20. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Mm. It's all happening. Yes. It's, it's that's definitely. A, that's a almost famous reference. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, cool, man. Uh, good episode. And uh, yeah, uh, this should be up probably uh, uh, Friday. Okay. I'll be so. in Dallas. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Having a good time checking out museums. Enjoy, yeah. Enjoying the hell out of yourself. So cool. <laughs> but right. I'll be back by next. I'll be back. Uh, well, I'm coming back Monday. But of course, with Twin Peaks, you can watch it on. I can watch it online. So I, I, it may be Monday before I get to watch it. But okay, I right. may try and watch it Sunday night, depending on what's going on. So. All right. Well, we'll then record an episode for that uh, accordingly. Okay. All right. So let me just uh, tell our listeners to slide in next week for another fabulous episode of A Slippery Slope. There's fire where you are going. <laughs> <laughs>